Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. We're taking our Bibles and turning to 2 Samuel chapter 9, 2 Samuel chapter 9, and I see some of the ushers are coming by with outline sheets that might be a help to you to follow along as we open our Bibles together to 2 Samuel, the ninth chapter, 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9, we'll begin reading in verse 1 and read the entire chapter together. 2 Samuel chapter 9 helps us to understand just a little bit better the grace of our God. 2 Samuel chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. And David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was in the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son who is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, He's in the house of Machir, the son of Emil, in Lodibar. Then King David sent and fetched him out of the house of Machir, the son of Emil, from Lodibar. Now, when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was coming to David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold thy servant. David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake. I will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. He bowed himself and said, What is thy servant, that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? Then the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said unto him, I have given unto thy master's son all that pertained to Saul to all his house. Thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants shall till the land for him. And thou shalt bring in the fruits, that thy master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, thy master's son, shall eat bread always at my table. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then said Ziba unto the king, According to all that my lord the king hath commanded his servant, so shall thy servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all that dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants unto Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table and was lame in both his feet. Let's ask the Lord to bless as we look into his word. Father, this evening I pray that you would help us to get a glimpse of grace as we discover together the joy of this text that tells us how generous the king can be, how unworthy the recipient of the blessings. And so, Lord, tonight, we thank you that your grace will always keep us no matter where our pathway will go. And we pray tonight, Lord, that you'd help us with eyes wide open as we look in the mirror of your word to see ourselves and to lift up and exalt the name of our Savior the one who's coming for us, whose grace is indescribable, 
And Lord, I pray that you'd encourage some heart tonight through your word, draw someone closer to yourself. And Lord, if there's somebody here who doesn't know Jesus Christ as Savior, may they grab hold of the grace of God tonight as we see it so well pictured here in this Old Testament text. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Mayor Fiorello LaGuardia was the mayor of New York City during the time of the Depression on into the time of the World Wars. He was quite an interesting character. They called him the Little Flower. They called him that because he was five foot four and he always wore a carnation in his lapel. He liked to be among the people of New York City. In fact, sometimes he would be riding on fire trucks. Other times, he'd be raiding the speakeasies with the police officers. When he wanted to do something kind for the orphans, he would line them all up and bring them to professional baseball games. And when the newspapers went on strike, the mayor himself would sit down in front of the radio and read the funnies to the children of New York City. One bitterly cold winter night in January of 1935, he decided he would go to the court and spell the judge. He went to the night court, dismissed the judge, and sat in for the judge that evening. Within a few minutes, an an older lady in tattered clothing came in. She was being charged that evening for stealing a loaf of bread. She was embarrassed. She stood before Judge LaGuardia, and she shared the story how her husband had died, her son-in-law had abandoned her and her daughter and her two grandchildren, and how they were starving She was embarrassed to say that she had done the deed, she had stolen. Now the shopkeeper was in the courtroom as well, and he said to Judge LaGuardia, he said, it's a real bad neighborhood, Your Honor, and we've got to make an example out of this woman. These type of things ought not to happen, and he would not dismiss personally the charges. LaGuardia sighed, looked at the woman, and he said, well, I've got no choice. I've got to punish you. The the law says there are no exceptions. It's a $10 fine or 10 days in in jail, and even as he was speaking, he was reaching back to his pocket to pull out a bill. He pulled out the $10 bill for her fine, and he said, here's a $10 bill, which I now remit, and furthermore, I'm going to fine everybody else in this courtroom. He said, I'm going to fine you all 50, 50 cents a person for living in such a city where a person has to steal bread to eat. Mr. Bailiff, collect the fines. And he took his own hat, handed it to the bailiff. The next day, the newspapers reported that the dear lady who'd come into the courtroom that evening was given $47.50. You see, there were 70-some petty criminals who were in the court that night who each had a 50-cent fine to pay. The red-faced shopkeeper paid 50 cents to that lady that evening. And the police officers and all who were in the court, according to the report, gave the mayor a standing ovation. People in New York that evening saw just a glimpse of grace. Grace and mercy, they're two of the most wonderful themes that anyone can ever consider. Mercy, of course, is not receiving what we deserve, and grace is receiving good even when we don't deserve it. As we open our Bibles this evening to 2 Samuel chapter 9, we discover the greatest illustration in the Old Testament of the grace of God. The greatest illustration in the Old Testament of the grace of God is discovered when David provides blessing 
to Jonathan's son, Jonathan's lame son, who was living a life of obscurity and fear, Mephibosheth comes before the king, and he comes before the king and surprisingly receives a gift of grace. There's a key word in 2 Samuel chapter 9. It's found in verse 3, the word kindness. It's found again in verse 7, the word kindness. It's found again in verse 3, verse 1 rather, kindness. Three times, verse 1, verse 3, and verse 7, the word kindness appears. Now, this is a Hebrew word that's very important. It's the Hebrew word keshed, keshed. Keshed is a word that speaks of loving kindness, favor, or grace. In fact, Wilson's Old Testament word studies speaks of the word keshed, saying the word pictures the full and free flow of natural affection, like a mother's milk to a child. It is a word used to portray the grace of God. Gesenius, the Old Testament scholar in his lexicon of the Hebrew language, says kesed speaks of the grace and mercy of God, which is shed abroad towards sinners. Because Mephibosheth's story of grace is our story also, we need to slow down this evening and look at this wonderful passage and appreciate again what we sing about often, the wonderful grace of Jesus, the amazing grace of our God. You see, 2 Samuel 9 parallels all of our experiences if we've trusted Christ as Savior. For all of us have been the beneficiaries of the grace of God. Here's a passage that reminds us all of our fallen condition. The father of Mephibosheth was Jonathan. The father of Jonathan was Israel's first king, Saul. And Jonathan and Saul would both die in the same battle, at the battle of Jezreel, when Mephibosheth was five years of age. On the same day, he lost his father and he lost his grandfather. You see, the Bible tells him, tells us rather, that a nurse picked him up, trying to run for safety, knowing that the king's household would be under attack on that dreadful day. She picked him up and ran with him. And 2 Samuel chapter 4 says, Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son who was lame on his feet. He was five years old when the tidings came of Saul and Jonathan out of Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And it came to pass, as she made haste to flee, that he fell and became lame. His name was Mephibosheth. In that moment, Mephibosheth lost a place of privilege. He had been living in the palace. His grandfather, a king. His father, a prince. But Jonathan and Saul were both gone. And on the very day that they died, this man was gravely injured. As the son of Jonathan and the grandson of Saul, he'd been born into a royal family, but he'd been given even at birth an unusual name. The name Mephibosheth, after all, means a shameful thing. It's as if the Spirit of God knew before this little one ever incurred the injury that his fate would be something less than glowing. A shameful thing was his name. And just as he lost his place of privilege, 
We ought to be reminded as we look at this text this evening, so have we. So have we. Romans 5 and verse 12 reminds us, wherefore as by one man sin entered the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 22 says, as in Adam all died. The New England primer teaching boys and girls how to read and write and to spell had the boys and girls of New England many years ago memorize in Adam's fall, we sinned all. Paradise was lost. The privileged place called Eden, no longer our blessed home. In a time of desperate fall, all mankind was pushed out into the darkness into which we today wander. Now God still allows the glimmer of His grace to be seen. But any who ponder the situation that the world is in today and look back in the history of the ages would agree together that the world is a place that brings to us thorns and thistles and the sweat of our brow, that brings grief and sorrow and pain and the tears of separation and death. Privileges have been lost. Mephibosheth came to live in a place of pain. The king said to him, where is he? Verse 4, Ziba said to the king, Behold, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Emil, in Lodabar. Old Testament names are often very important. These names are important. Machir means sold. Sold. Mephibosheth had been sold into a difficult place, a place called Lodabar. Lodabar means no pasture. He was living in a place of pain, a place where there was no pasture. Pleasures had been taken from him. He was living the life of a crippled man. He was living the life of an estranged man. After all, the sons and the daughters of the prior king and the prior dynasty often live with a price on their head. He lived in Lodabar, the place without a pasture. A.W. Pink, in commenting on this passage, says, Multitudes live in Lodabar. They have satisfaction in sport or novel reading or in endless rounds of pleasure even in making money or in fame. But as for soul satisfaction, they have no soul satisfaction. They live in a land without pasture. All around of us today, there are those who are living in a place of pain. All around us today, all around this globe, there are those who have lost the privilege of fellowship with God, born in trespasses and sin, and there may be some even in this room this evening who find themselves in that situation or have a burden for someone that you know has never seen the light that we spoke of today and never known the warmth and the glow of the light of Jesus' love. We can't picture the burden that Mephibosheth knew, but we can appreciate as we look at this picture that it paints a picture for all of us to ponder because this man who knew a fallen condition is a man who comes to know the blessing of free salvation. Having sought the Lord's blessings, David, in 2 Samuel chapter 6, wants to bring the ark back, and in 2 Samuel chapter 7, wants to build the temple. This man who has a tremendous heart to serve the Lord, finds himself now with a heart filled with desire to serve the Lord, having a desire to be a blessing to others. He's the king all bow before him. Silver and gold is being stored by him. 
Enemies are being destroyed by God's providence and care for him. And yet he finds himself willing to look out for others. Henry Drummond was right when he said, the greatest thing a man can do for his heavenly father is to be a blessing, to be a blessing, to be a blessing to some of his children. David in this passage presents for us a brief portrait, if you will, of the Savior. You say, Pastor Phelps, how can I see the Savior in this passage? Well, if you reflect on this with me, you'll discover the Savior's portrait here. David sought. He sought for Mephibosheth. David said in verse 1, is there yet any? I love the word any. Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Verse 3, and the king said, is there yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness, the keshed, the the grace of God unto him, David was seeking. And David found a broken man, not an attractive man, but David was looking for anybody. He didn't find a somebody. He found a nobody. He found a Mephibosheth, a man who's living a life of shame in a place of no pasture. How sweet to be reminded this evening that the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. How wonderful for us to realize that Luke 19 says in verse 10, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which were lost. You and I, in our lost and dreadfully stained condition, David is picturing for us to see the goodness of the Lord. Come unto me, he said, all ye that labor, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Aren't you thankful for the whosoevers of God's Word? David is looking for any. Our Savior did not come come to call the righteous, but sinners unto repentance. He came to call any. He's the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. David not only sought for any that he could bless, but David sent. He sent Ziba, verse 5. Then King David sent and fetched him out of the house of Machir, the son of Emil from Lodabar. He sent his servant Ziba, the one who had identified where Mephibosheth was, who Mephibosheth was, the condition of Mephibosheth, who knew everything it seems about Mephibosheth. David sent Ziba. Now folks, the splendor of this passage needs to be put into its times and you need to understand That for David to invite someone from a rival kingdom to come into the palace was unthinkable. David had grown to this position of being the unified king over all of Judah and Israel. All the 12 tribes were being blessed by his leadership. It wasn't always that way. After the death of Saul, there was tremendous infighting within the tribes. And you recall that David first ruled in Judah and then finally All of Israel anointed him. And you may recall in 2 Samuel chapter 3 that the Word of God actually tells us that some of the sons of Saul were insurrectionists, seeking to hold on to the dynasty that Saul had founded. Ziba came forward and said to the king in verse 4, There is in the house of Machir this son of Emil, this one in Lodabar, a man by the name of Mephibosheth, And Mephibosheth is the son of Jonathan, who was the heir apparent 
to his father Saul, and while he's lame on his feet, David sends for him. He sends for a known enemy. So does the grace of God. The grace of God endures the blasphemer and brings the blasphemer to become a worshiper. The grace of God endures the profligate and allows us to know that we serve a heavenly Father who invites prodigals home. The grace of God endures those who take the benefits that God gives and shake their fist at God without any thanksgiving in heart, no desire to serve, and yet the grace of God sends the Spirit of God to touch our hearts as the one who convinces the world today of sin and righteousness and judgment. We thank the Lord that our Savior sends. He said, it is necessary that I go away. And if I go away, I will send another comforter unto you. David pictures the Savior in the way he speaks to Mephibosheth. And when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, verse 6, the son of Saul, was coming to David, he fell on his face. And now perhaps you understand why he did reverence. He cowered in fear, no possibility of running away. He was lame on his feet. We can only imagine what went through the heart of Mephibosheth when Ziba and the king's ambassadors pulled up in Lodabar. And the king's ambassadors encouraged Mephibosheth to come back to the palace, a place that he did not want to go. And there are some in this room this evening who would say, that's exactly how I was before I got saved. I did not want to go to church. I didn't want to hear anybody preaching to me. I certainly didn't want to read the Bible. There was nothing about me that wanted anything to do with the gospel. But God persists because his grace is absolutely amazing. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and I give unto them eternal life, and they will never perish. In this passage, David speaks to Mephibosheth. He calls him by name, Mephibosheth. And no doubt in the tone that David used in the palace, the quivering man who's been brought in ceases to quiver and begins to admire the grace of this king that's invited him to this place. And no doubt in your heart, if you've come to know the blessing of free salvation through Jesus Christ our Savior, you've come to understand what John says when he says in 1 John 3 and verse 1, Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we would be called the sons of God. In this passage, we see David speaking to Mephibosheth and we see David sparing Mephibosheth. David said to him, Fear not. I'll show thee kindness, keshed, grace, for Jonathan thy father's sake. I'll restore all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. Where the normal practice would have been to kill every family member of the royal line, David was on a mission of mercy. He had a covenant relationship, you recall, that he'd made with Jonathan, his dear friend, Jonathan and David had committed to one another that if either of them had been taken in battle, that they would be a blessing to all the family members who remained. And this covenant relationship was still stirring in the heart of David and allowing him to play the part of a savior for Mephibosheth. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You hath he quickened who were dead 
in your trespasses and in your sins. And David does something more. He supplies for Mephibosheth. The king calls Ziba, his servant, and says to him, I've given unto thy master's son all that pertained to Saul and all that was for his house. Thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants shall till the land for him, and thou shalt bring in fruits. David makes plenteous provision for Mephibosheth, and he provides the provision through Ziba, the one that he'd sent. The one that had brought Mephibosheth to the palace now becomes the one who serves Mephibosheth in the palace. By now you already understand the second Samuel chapter 9 is a remarkable Old Testament story of the grace of God. We see David, the Savior, and we see Mephibosheth, the saved. Chuck Swindoll was right when he said, Mephibosheth's story is our story. It's our story of redemption. I hope that you will respond to what the Lord has done for you the same way Mephibosheth responded. He responded in great humility. Verse 6, Behold thy servant, he says, as David whispers his name, Mephibosheth. Behold thy servant. I'm reminded how, how Paul responded on the road of Damascus when he saw the Lord. And he said, Lord, what would you have me to do? John Newton was the author of Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. He lived a dreadful life. And then he was saved. And he never got over it. In fact, he was heard to say, when I get to heaven, there are three things that I believe will be most wonderful. The first thing that will be wonderful to me will be to see so many people who were there that I did not expect to see. The second thing will be to miss people that I did expect to see. And the greatest wonder of all, he said, will be to find myself there. Humility in response to the love of God. Mephibosheth gives evidence of that. Do you? Mephibosheth responds humbly. He responds honestly in verse 8 as he assesses himself. There's no pride. In verse 8, what is thy servant that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I? He understood that apart from God's grace, he understood apart from David's grace, there's nothing in him that was lovely at all. He was honest about his situation. And oh, how happy he must have become when he becomes the recipients of the gift that David gives. For verse 12 said, Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all that dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants unto Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth received many blessings because David had a covenantal relationship. David had a covenantal relationship with Jonathan. And friend, do you understand that we are recipients of the blessings of God because the Son has a covenantal relationship with the Father? It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Him. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any pluck them out of my, my hand. Listen. My Father which gave them unto me is greater than all. Your value is found in that phrase. 
Your value is not of yourself. Your value is of this, that the Father gave you to the Son. What a wonderful thought. And in this passage, it's not about Mephibosheth. It's about a promise that David had made to Jonathan, a covenant that had been made. The songwriter wisely said, unworthy was I of the favor he gave, unworthy to call on his name, but he made me worthy and never the same. Mephibosheth's story is our story. It's a story of grace for the fallen, a story of grace for those who are found. It's a story of grace that has about it a future destination. Mephibosheth's crutches would soon be clattering through the palace. Can you see him there in your mind? Can you see how people responded? And every time he clattered in with his crutches or dragged himself along, the people stood marveling that David would be so kind to someone that they all saw as so unworthy. He'd gone from the poorhouse now to living in the, in the palace. David sang about them, that himself when he said in Psalm 40, he's lifted me up out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock. And when he came to the palace, he was given a promise. David said to him, fear not, I will surely show thee kindness. I will surely show thee kindness. And we too are given promises. Jesus said to his disciples in the hour of their trembling, you believe in God, believe also in me. We've been given the promise he'll never leave us, he'll never forsake us. We've been given the promise that he's gone to prepare a place for us. We've been given the promise that if we will ask anything in his name, he will do it, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Mephibosheth dwelt in a place of precious promises. He was given a place. Where? At the table. (laughs) In verse 7, you will eat bread at my table continually. That same phrase is going to be found in verse 7, in verse 10, in verse 11, and in verse 14, because it's important. God is never redundant in this story. He wants us to know that David was sincere. He would meet the needs of this man. There was a place for Mephibosheth and a provision that was given to him. A provision that was given to him, the PowerPoint says position. You can use either one. It'll work. But I think provision works better. A provision that was given to him. And there was a pathway that he would enjoy. Mephibosheth was a young man when he was brought to the palace. We know that from verse 12. He had a young son whose name was Micah. Mephibosheth was a young man and a father. But he would live for many more years. And often in reviewing 2 Samuel chapter 9... Folks fail to see how in the future of his life he continues to picture the grace of God. So let's go there for a minute. Take your Bible and come with me to 2 Samuel chapter 16. 2 Samuel chapter 16. You'll remember how Absalom, the son of David, is involved in a coup to take the kingdom from his father. Mephibosheth was still in the palace during the time of that coup. And we read beginning in verse 1 of 2 Samuel 16, and when David was a little past the top of the hill, he was leaving Jerusalem. He was running away from his own son who wanted to kill him and take the kingdom. 
He was a little past the top of the hill, and behold, Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, met him with a couple of asses saddled, upon them two hundred loaves of bread, and a hundred bunches of raisins, and a hundred summer fruits, and a bottle of wine. And the king said unto Ziba, What meanest thou by these? And Ziba said, The asses be for the king's household to ride on, and the bread and the summer fruit for the young men to eat, the wine that such as be faint in the wilderness may drink. And the king said, Where's thy master's son? Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he abides in Jerusalem, for he said, Today shall the house of Israel restore me to the kingdom of my father. Then said the king to Ziba, Behold, thine are all that pertain unto Mephibosheth. And Ziba said, I humbly beseech thee that I may find grace in thy sight, my lord, O king. This was a terrible day. As David was escaping what certainly would be his death at the hand of his own son, Ziba meets him, gives him gifts. And when David inquires, where's Mephibosheth? Oh, he's back at the palace The last thing I heard him say was, this is the day I get to restore my royal position. Come over with me to 2 Samuel chapter 19. 2 Samuel chapter 19. David is reunited with Ziba and with Mephibosheth in 2 Samuel chapter 19. The 24th verse. David is now speaking to Mephibosheth. And David said in 2 Samuel 19 in verse 24, we read, And Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king, and had neither dressed his feet nor trimmed his beard. David has won the battle. He's going back to the palace. His son Absalom has died. Mephibosheth comes to meet him. He has neither dressed his feet nor trimmed his beard nor washed his clothes from the day that the king departed until the day that he came again in peace. And it came to pass when he was come to Jerusalem to meet the king, that the king said unto him, Wherefore wentest not thou with me, Mephibosheth? Ziba was there, others were there, where were you? And he answered, My lord, O king, my servant, that would be Ziba, deceived me. For thy servant said, I will saddle me an ass, that I may ride thereon and go to the king, because thy servant is lame. He hath slandered thy servant unto my lord the king. But my Lord, the king is as an angel of God. Do therefore what is good in thine eyes. For all of my father's house were but dead men before my Lord the king. Yet didst thou set thy servant among them that did eat at thine own table. What right therefore have I yet to cry any more unto the king? The king said unto him, Why speakest thou any more of thy matters? I have said, Thou and Ziba divide the land. And Mephibosheth said unto the king, Yea, Let him take all, for as much as my Lord the King has come again in peace unto his own house. When we look at Mephibosheth in this story later in his life, you know what we see? We see a pathway that God has given that all of us ought to follow. Mephibosheth was loyal. How do we know? He'd grown his beard and his hair. He stayed loyally at the palace in expectation of David coming back. While he was slandered, he was true in his love to the king. In fact, he was watchful, looking forward to the day when David would come again to the palace and this matter with Absalom would be behind. In verses 27 and 28, 
how carefully he crafts his words of praise for the king. When he says, I was slandered, but my Lord the king is as an angel of God. Therefore do whatsoever you would unto me. For when we discover Mephibosheth here in this passage, we understand that he finds his fulfillment in being a friend of the king. His singular desire was not the land, not the servants, and not the position, and not the scrumptious meals at the table of the king. No. He said, let him take all of it away, verse 30 says, for as much as my Lord the king has come again, and he's come again in peace to his own house. Mephibosheth found his greatest joy in being the king's friend. Many years ago, Shah Abbas of Persia, a man of great wealth, was known to do something quite exceptional. He would leave the palace and put on the clothing of a commoner. He'd go to the public baths and he'd go to the places where merchandise was being sold. One day, he found himself with a man who cared for horses and he sat with the man and spoke to the man and they became friends. The man invited him to his home and shared his meager meal with him. And finally, the day came when the Shah identified himself to the man who cared for the horses. And he invited him to come to the palace. And the man who cared for the horses very humbly and very honestly said to the great king, the Shah of Persia, I have no desire to go to the palace. My life has found total fulfillment, not in going to the palace and seeing the spectacular beauty of your home, though it must be beautiful. My life has found its fulfillment in being able to call you my friend. Mephibosheth models that same spirit. It's how a person responds, you see, to the grace of God. To be able to know that we have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. That we've been taken in our fallen condition and lifted up with promises of a place forevermore. Oh, there'll be challenges along the pathway. Slander will come and difficulties will come. Be watchful. Be watchful. The king is coming. The king is coming. How do you know? I've experienced the grace of God. 2 Samuel chapter 9 and the story of Mephibosheth is a story that reminds us of our own story. Grace is an important theme in God's Word after all. Those who fail to understand the grace of God can never really understand salvation. And those who never really understand the grace of God, that free gift that He gives to the undeserving, can never have confidence in salvation. And where there is no understanding of God's grace, there's no joyful praise. But when we understand His grace, we have reason to praise. We're sustained and satisfied by the grace of God. Will you stand with me, please, as we pray? This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast. Thank you.